here that we're pulling out of storage and we're going to throw them away. <laughs> we're going to get them to the street. There is one desk that someone may or may not want. Uh, so several of you fellows could help. We're going to just get it to the street and let, let it go. But anyway, that'll be right after the service. As, as I prayed, we're studying the last half of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And as John concludes Revelation, you have to wonder, you have to ask, what is God's final word to us, His church, His bride? To me, without a doubt, I think it's the Lord wants us to be ready for His return. To be living a life of expectancy of His return. Because once the rapture occurs, everything is set into motion with nothing to turn back to. There will be no second chances. It's over then, except unless you, you know... You weren't saved, and you're still here on earth, and hopefully you'll survive and accept Christ, but you don't have any guarantees that. But once the rapture occurs, everything is set into motion, and we just kind of go along with it, and that is the Lord Jesus coming quickly. Last week, we looked at verse 7 of chapter 22, and verse 7 says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed or happy is he who keeps the words of this book. What is the message of this book? Well, the New Testament can be summed up in, in really in just a few words. It's love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and live in a righteous manner before God and before your fellow man. That's the message of the New Testament. And for a few years now, we have been studying the New Testament, the words of Jesus, the words of his apostles, the writing, the behavior of the, uh, the new church, and so forth. And now we come to the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we are this morning, last chapter, last book. And this angel, this messenger of God, he tells John, write, write these things down, John. They're faithful and true, and write them so my church can know my final thoughts for them. And Jesus says plainly, then, behold, I am coming quickly. That truth, we would be wise to let that truth dominate our lives that Jesus is coming quickly we will read our, our text here in a moment but I'm, when we read it I want you to notice how many times the word come is used and Jesus' promise that he is coming quickly they appear several times in these last verses uh, and so we're to be ready for our Lord's return, for His coming. 
The early church believed that Jesus would return at any moment. And they begin to sell their possessions, quit their jobs, and the Apostle Paul has to come to them and remind them, hey, hey, don't be so rash, you know. Be responsible, continue to work, yet plan for your future and the return of the Lord. Now today, I believe that pendulum has swung completely the other way. And we have heard, and probably grown deaf to the words of Jesus, that declare that He is coming quickly. How soon is quickly? I think we put it off into the near future. But how about the next moment? What if our Lord returned before we even finished this service? But I do believe that modern man in his efforts to strike a balance of what we call logical, we have grown apathetic, and I'm speaking of Christians, towards Jesus' words that he will return quickly. I've heard it all my life. Some of you have too. And we can find ourselves attempting to take care of ourselves with retirement plans. A nice portfolio. 401ks. And you know, the Lord wants us to be trusting Him. I think this current recession that we're in, and, you know, it has been ugly to say the least. If it does nothing else, it makes us focus and trust upon our Lord versus the economy of the United States. We're kind of forced to trust God for our future, and that's a good thing. So, my brothers and sisters... Hear the words of Jesus and let them sink down into your heart. And if need be, now I don't know where you're at with the Lord, and if need be, allow the words of Jesus to change your thinking, even change your plans. Allow them to change your life. So let's read now the last half of chapter 22, starting in verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take of the waters of life freely. For I testify to everyone here who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the prophecy, 
God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And there we have it. The last verses of the last chapter. Jesus' message in these verses, in these last verses, is I am coming quickly. Be ready, my people. And I heard long ago, and it's not speaking of your t politics, get right or get left. And I like that. <laughs> get right with the Lord or you're going to be left. You know. We read here that each and every believer will be rewarded by Jesus according to our works. The reward of heaven, of course, and I believe that is the great equalizer of life. Have you ever wondered a little bit about the fairness of life? Why some believers, uh, they have a difficult, heartbreaking type of life, and yet others seem to just kind of have it made and they cruise through life? For instance, if you lived up on Yarrowborough Road in Harvest, and you experienced a tornado a year ago, and then a year later, just last month, another tornado down the same road, down the same path, what are the odds of that? And you go, where is the fairness in that? And we wonder. And we hear stories of mothers who lost not one but two sons in a world war. And tragedy strikes. And life is not fair. Many children have been required to go to work as a teenager to help support the family. And it seems unfair. Gail Irwin, some of you know Gail, as a young boy, his dad was in an airplane crash, and he was an invalid, and Gail had to take care of his dad all through his childhood, robbing Gail of any childhood that he had. And there's stories of a faithful wife, you know, and mother who must go to work and support her family because her, the husband has deserted her, perhaps he died, and it seems so unfair. And years ago, and perhaps even today, we have people that are born into slavery. And you go, wow, no life. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, sold into slavery by his brothers. Thanks, bro. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. And yet others are born into the lap of luxury. It wasn't that long ago, perhaps a generation or two, that you weren't able to choose your vocation. That's a new thing, by the way. 
you weren't allowed the privilege of going to school and choosing what you wanted to do for life. You kind of had to go out and do what you could to make a living. Life can be very unfair, even unjust. Here's the good thing. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and we're told that he is a man that was acquainted with grief and sorrow, has his reward with him for us who do his work. That is the great equalizer reward. A just and fair reward from our Lord. A reward from God who has complete knowledge of everything that has ever happened to us, of all the events of our life, and who is aware of each and every work that we do for his kingdom. Verse 12, it takes into account all the unfair, all the unjust things that any of us have ever had to work through. It takes into account our attitude towards serving the Lord. And today, things are still not fair in each and every life. And maybe you're trapped in a bad neighborhood or a neighborhood that's had a couple tornadoes. Maybe you're trapped in a bad job or even a bad marriage. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, had a thorn in the flesh given to him by God to keep him humble. A thorn in the flesh given by God. Maybe you have a thorn in the flesh. The good thing is our Lord knows and understands each and every difficult situation that we encounter. That's the good news. And because he's a just God and a good God, he has his reward for everyone that is a believer in his heaven. And that should encourage us. That should cause us to ponder upon his return and his, behold, I am coming quickly. It should make us long for, pray for the return of our Lord Jesus. And then in verse 13, we have Jesus repeating himself. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And that indicates that he's everything in between also. He's not just the first and then pops up at the end. He's everything in life. In verse 14, Jesus says, Obey my commandments. Be obedient. In Matthew 21, there's a parable. It's a parable of a father, and he has two sons. And he tells the first son, go into the vineyard and work today. The first son says, okay, just like you say, Dad, but he doesn't go. 
And then the other son says, no, I'm not going to do it, but changes his mind and goes and works. Then the question is asked, which of these sons did the will of the father? Which son was obedient? And of course, it's the son who said no, but then went and worked. And there is a plague, or at least I call it a plague in Christianity today. And I think that plague is a simple lack of of obedience to God's Word. I meet so many people that are full of good intentions. But they're only good intentions if you never do anything about them. Good intentions have never been counted as obedience. They're just good intentions. In fact, Scripture tells us, those who know to do good and do not do it, to them it is sin. Wow, that's pretty heavy now. If you know to do good and you do not do it, or you delay doing it to the point where you forget about it, to you it is sin. A parent, when he asks his child to do a chore... And then for that child to ignore the parent's request, that child is disobedient. Same thing with our Lord. His word is full of commands to us. They're not grievous. They're not hard. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But when God tells us to do something as his body of believers, guess what? He expects us to do it. Years ago when we were down on the South Parkway, we had a young man come to us who was involved in a, another Calvary Chapel. And he wanted to get involved in ministry. And I thought, well, this is good. So after a few weeks, I asked him to do the devotion at a men's breakfast. And his words were something like, oh, good, I'd like to do that. Breakfast came and went. The man never showed up. So the following Sunday, I asked him, well, what happened? He goes, oh, man, I completely forgot. My reply to him was, you couldn't have told me anything worse. I'm looking for men and women who are faithful. Him saying, I forgot, it was an excuse that I could not live with. And I told him so. He soon went his own way to greener pastures or whatever. But Jesus repeats himself a couple of times in this last chapter. There's things he wants us to know. And he wants us to be obedient to his commandments. It is required of us as believers to be obedient. And if we do so, we're blessed. 
He says, I will bless you and reward you if you will be obedient. Obedience gives us the right to eat or partake of the tree of life. That's not bad. (laughs) I'll take that. I'll sign up for that. Obedience allows us to enter the new Jerusalem or heaven through the gates, through the pearly gates. And by the way, there's no other way to enter. It tells us those who practice lies and sorceries and those kind of things, they cannot enter. And heaven, by the way, it will not have anyone there by default. No one will be in heaven against their will or because they didn't want to go to hell, so they said, well, I better go to heaven. No, there won't be anyone there like that. We should consider that, I think, when we pray for our unsaved loved ones. Pray for them to have a change of heart. Because if they don't have a change of heart, they would never be happy in heaven anyway. If, big if here, if the entrance to heaven were left to us, to mankind, we would allow our loved ones to enter heaven regardless. We would. Because we know the alternative is so bad. We know hell is going to be so bad, so we would let them in. Learn this message from this passage. Heaven is for believers. No exceptions. Jesus' reward is for believers. No exceptions. You have to ask yourself, what would heaven be like if it was full of disgruntled, unhappy people who really didn't want to be there, but they just signed up for heaven to avoid hell? That would not be heaven. Jesus declares, My angel, the one who speaks to John, this angel testifies of the things in the churches. By the way, this is the first mention of the church since chapter 3, where the seven churches are admonished. We have now the church being mentioned again, and the church is conspicuously absent from all the plagues and all the wrath poured out by God. So from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 22, you have no mention of the church. But in verse 16, we have a tie-in to the Old Testament with the New. And we have Jesus saying, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. King David had a special place in the heart of God. We all know David, if you've ever studied his life, you know David was, he was a notorious sinner. He really was. David... (laughs) David uh, David had his shortcomings. He had his bad moments. So he's not a man after God's heart because he was sinless. So what is this special attraction to Jesus, to David? Why does Jesus say, I am the root and offspring of David? 
David was a man after God's own heart. He had a heart like God. As a man and woman of Christ, we have the opportunity to be after, be like, be emotionally attached to God through the heart. How critical is the attitude of heart? We sang a song here this morning, You Have Won My Heart. Know this, the body and the soul of each and every person follows the heart. Let me say that again. The body and the soul of a person follows the heart. If your heart is toward God, that attitude will produce a positive spiritual effect in your life. In fact, if God has captured your heart, or your heart's been captured by perhaps your spouse-to-be, <laughs> you can do foolish things, and you don't care, because that person has your heart, and you know, the Lord has your heart. And so we can look foolish when our heart has been captured. Take notice how Jesus identifies with David. How would you like your name in scripture? Don, a man after my own heart. <laughs> that, would, that would do me good. <laughs> I would like that. I'll settle for that one. But we have an opportunity to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. What a beautiful challenge. What a beautiful invitation by our Lord. Verse 17. I really like verse 17. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, come. We, the bride of Christ, are in agreement with the Holy Spirit of God, and we cry out together, come, Lord Jesus. We cry out to our friends and our loved ones, anyone that will listen to us, come to the Lord Jesus. Because behind the cry of come is all who are thirsty, come and take of the water of life freely. Come to everlasting life with Jesus. By the way, that is what separates Christianity from all the other religions of the world. All the other religions require some kind of penitence, some uh, penitence or some kind of self-sacrifice to be accepted by their God. The Muslims live in fear of their God. Jesus says, come, anyone who is thirsty, and drink of the water of life freely. God reaching out to man separates Christianity from all other religions. What a beautiful invitation that is. Are you thirsty? 
Do you want to know about eternal things? Do you want to know about godly things? Come, and I will give you drink. What a beautiful invitation by our Lord. And then we have a warning to everybody who hears the words of this book. And basically it's do not add, do not try to soften the words of this book, do not try to make them logical in your own opinion, do not try to justify them or dilute them in any way. And for heaven's sakes, and by the way, that's what is on the line, heaven, do not take away from this book. And you would, you would think, well, who in the world would do that? It's done all around us every day today. It would be so much better for us to say, I do not understand certain scripture, or that's a difficult passage and I really don't understand it, than to try to put our spin on it. Because when you put your spin on things, be careful because you may be taking away from God's word. Don't ever try to dismiss or make light of God's word. I try to be so careful about that, and I'm sure I fail miserably, but I don't want you people to see the word of God through my eyes. I want you to see it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Today, we have completed our study of the Bible. It only took us about 15 years to get through it. But you know, Calvary chapels were different in that regard. We're different than most churches, for there are a lot of pastors and there's a lot of teachers who do not even attempt to go through or study books like Revelation. Now think with me. If you don't even bother to study the book of Revelation, in essence, you're taking from the people that look to you as a teacher, as a pastor, you're taking away from them God's word. And we don't want to be guilty of that. We never want to be guilty of not teaching the full Word of God. Each of us will probably sometime or another change churches. When you change churches, make sure they're teaching the full Word of God. Just make sure they're going through all of Scripture, for it's for us. I never want to be accused of not teaching all of God's Word. But in closing, Jesus testifies and he says, I am coming quickly. Three times he says in this chapter, I am coming quickly. Four times we're admonished to say, Come, Lord Jesus. By praying and declaring, Come, Lord Jesus, we are in agreements with the Holy Spirit of God Himself. The Holy Spirit 
takes that back seat, you might say, to God the Father and God the Son, and he draws us to Jesus. Then the Spirit says, come, Lord Jesus. And we, the bride of Christ, are in agreement with that. We say, come, Lord Jesus. And in our scripture reading this morning, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he speaks of the end times of everything, and he says, comfort one another with these words. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That may or may not be a comfort to you today. But you know, the recession that we're in has made those words more comforting. All of a sudden, everything is not good and upward and, you know, always better. As we hit hard times, as we hit difficult times, come Lord Jesus will become more and more of a comfort especially to us believers. So there we are. We've come through the entire Bible. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Since we're close to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, it might be several weeks before we get into Genesis. I may go topical on you a couple Sundays here. <laughs> so let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to come quickly. We, his bride. Father God, we are in agreements with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We do pray for you to come, Lord Jesus. Lord, there's nothing in this life or there should be nothing in this life that would hinder us from saying, come, Lord Jesus. We want you to be everything that we hope for. And Lord, we can put our hope and trust in a lot of different things. And Lord, we don't want to put you in second place on anything. And so we, as a body of believers, say to you, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Deliver us, your people, from this world, from all the temptations of this world, from all the heartaches of this world. Come, Lord, for us, your people, and take us, take us home, Lord, to be with you. Lord, we, we look for the time, we look for that day that we can be in your heaven and see you face to face, and know you as you are, and to be known by you. So we the church, we your bride, say, come Lord Jesus. And of course we pray this in the name of Jesus. Do good works in the hearts and lives of us, your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a trip.